study of uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in this uh, chapter by chapter for the spring. And uh, this morning, we're going to read kind of the opening and the closing of his introduction. Luke has, uh, has written an introduction that is two chapters long, and we're going to read the beginning of it and the end of it. Hear this. This is the Word of God, Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Now, if you would turn with me over Advent and Christmas, we covered all the events surrounding the birth. And now we're going to look at the close. Look with me at Luke 2, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own towns of Nazareth. And the child grew, this is Jesus, and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him... They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help, okay? Father, we do ask that you would send uh, particularly to our hearts and minds uh, your Holy Spirit. That would a- he would aid our reading and our reflection, our understanding, our application. Thank you, God, for uh, your Spirit. We pray that he would be active in removing any distractions so that our focus could be on the person and the work of Jesus, our great Savior, our all-sufficient Savior and King. It's in his name we ask. Amen. So just a few things uh, to kind of orient us uh, on the Gospel of Luke. Even as Luke himself describes, there are other accounts. There are other Gospel narratives. Matthew, Mark, and John are the others. And, uh, and each one of those writes, sometimes with a different emphasis and a different fashion. There are some, some include the same events. Others uh, you know, may skip over certain things. Some of them are more linear. Uh, some of them are, are kind of a, an account gathered in a more thematic uh, approach. Some of them were eyewitnesses. Some of them uh, were relying upon eyewitnesses, as, as is the case here with Luke. What do we know about Luke? Uh, we, we know a fair amount. Uh, Luke was uh, a Gentile convert. Luke was a, uh, a physician by vocation. 
Uh, we know that because, uh, and we know that's because in Colossians 4, Paul refers to him in that way. And we also know that he attended to uh, Paul. He was one of Paul's traveling companions. We read of this later in the New Testament in Acts. And, uh, and, and Paul was, was, uh, was probably, because Paul was beaten so many times and had so many scars and afflictions, uh, we know he probably was pretty, uh, was pretty busy as a doctor and a physician trying to care for uh, his dear friend Paul. Though he was not, uh, like I said, a, an eyewitness uh, to Jesus, Luke is an inquisitive man uh, who is very detailed in his research. You know, we get the clear impression that uh, especially in this case, even to hear of Mary's perspective and her experience, it, you almost get the impression that he was right there writing down carefully in a, in a personal interview with Mary. Um, well, that's an assumption, but, uh, but the, the level of detail, even the things that she was experiencing internally, uh, we get this impression that he was very, very detailed. In fact, we, we, we know that he was detailed because he's written more of the New Testament than anyone. Now, there's more books written by the Apostle Paul, but as far as sheer number of words and the volume of writing, Luke has more of the New Testament than anyone. And that's because this is not intended to be uh, just one uh, account. There's two volumes, because later he goes on to write again to Theophilus, uh, a second volume, and that is what? The book of Acts. That's right, we studied that uh, some last year. So there's two volumes to kind of unpack all this. And who is it written to? Well, it's written to uh, the primary recipient is Theophilus. We don't know a ton about him. Perhaps he was an unbeliever. Perhaps he was a, a, a new follower of Christ. We don't know. But Luke uh, writes to persuade him to establish him with what? Well, we'll look at our text in verse uh, 4 of chapter 1. Turning back over there, it's to write to him, to grant to him, Theophilus, he must have been perhaps you know, the, the term most excellent, maybe he was a person of, uh, of, you know, of Roman rank or some high regard in a position of, of a particular office, we don't know. But it writes here, the aim is verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then that's not just for him, but for us. You know, the Bible welcomes our questions, even in, in many regards, our doubts, because there are answers, right? And as, as God's Spirit's working through the details of logical reasoning and, and evidences and witnesses and stories and narratives like what we encounter as we unpack the Gospel of Luke, we see that we are built up. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. It's not... You know, well, I had, a, I had a really, you know, neat experience, you know, just walking in nature. That's great, but that's not sufficient. It's, it's the Word of God that brings a level of faith and clarity and understanding, and for this guy, certainty. That's part of his aim. Now, today uh, we're picking up, like I said, at, at the end of this kind of opening and this, maybe it's to you, a familiar, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard uh, of this account in Jesus' life. Luke's already spent a ton of detail as we were unpacking in the month of December about uh, the, the details of his birth. He has the longest account, Luke does, of the gospel writers of all that surrounded his birth. But then he only has this very brief mention of, uh, you know, his, his youth, of Jesus' youth. And maybe this is a familiar story to you, uh, maybe not. But uh, what we find here... And it's really just, it's ever so brief. What we find here is something of the, the nature of Christ. We affirm, we believe, and so has, down through the ages, uh, Christians, 
in uh, not only our tradition, but, uh, but all of Christendom has believed that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a mystery, but we believe that he has two natures in one person. He's not two persons. He is one person, and mysteriously to us, he is both fully God and fully man, two natures existing in one person. Now, with, with that, that's why I oftentimes you'll hear me refer to Jesus. You've heard me say this. He is the God-man. Jesus, the God-man. Now, uh, we just are going to see a little bit of both of these here in the text. And so my, my headings are, are rather simple. Two things that I think we see here uh, in this account. One is we see a, a, a humble human youth. And then at the same time, we see also in this account a bold divine son. A humble human youth. Jesus here is referred to as a boy. Verse 40, it says that he is growing, that he is in stature, like physically, but also, you know, intellectually and in his, in his outlook and his, his grasp of things. He was growing in wisdom, in his mind. Sometimes, you know, we get the impression that uh, Jesus was like a, a, a grown man just walking around in a little boy's body. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I've, I've thought that at different times. I don't know how or where that, uh, that impression develops, but maybe you're, you've thought that too. Like, you know, Jesus was was God, and he just was walking around disguised as a, as a, as a, as a boy, right? Like he, he just, you know, every time his parents tried to, to do something or correct him or, or, or teach him that he just was kind of internally rolling his eyes. Jesus, why are you rolling your eyes again? Do you know something I don't know? You know, we don't, we don't, I know we have this, maybe this impression, but that's not the case. Jesus needed to learn. Jesus needed, I mean, he submitted himself to, he humbled himself to our human experiences at the various stages and ages such that he needed to be trained. He needed to learn. He needed to, to grow in, in every regard like any other human being would need to. Somewhere, he, he, was subject, he was subjected to the frustrations and the limitations of what it means to walk and grow and, and learn. He needed wisdom. He comes to know more about the plan of God he comes to learn more about the wisdom of God. How? The same way any of us would. By, by studying the scriptures, by, by learning the stories, by learning about the character of his father. Jesus knew his Hebrew Bible, and it wasn't just through, uh, you know, some, you know, just random experience or some. He learned it the same way that we would teach our children. And this is this is, a ref- this is a refreshing reminder, right? That we, we don't assume that, you know, our kids, they don't care about that grown-up stuff. We'll get to teaching them the Bible when they get, I don't know, whatever age. We teach our children the Bible from the earliest of ages, even before they can, you know, sometimes you know, form an intelligent sentence because we know that God's Word is powerful. We know, even as we see here, Jesus knew the Hebrew Bible because he had faithful parents. Thank you, Mary and Joseph. He had been brought up in a community. He'd been brought up in the covenant community where he was seeing on display, remembered, recalled, retaught the things of God, the ways of God. Obviously, Jesus' spirit uh, is, is, is on him. Verse, verse 40 says that God's favor rested on Jesus. But it's not just for show. Like he doesn't just come here and ask questions of the teachers as some kind of joke. He, he is learning the plan of God. 
Somewhere along the way, he realizes, maybe it's at this particular juncture, we don't know, but somewhere along the way, Jesus realizes, I am the Son of God. I, I have an identity and a plan that is, I am the fulfillment. I am to carry this. And of course, the Spirit of God, the restraint of His knowledge and understanding is lifted over time, and He does begin to read people's, you know, he, in essence, read people's mind, and He is given insight into all sorts of things. But, but think about that. That is a profound mystery. Well, it's the time of year uh, where there's the celebration of the Passover feast. Jesus is 12. He's on the, the, the cusp of his bar mitzvah when he would become a full man. And it was customary for them to bring him into the things of the temple. And, and so he gets a, a, you know, he, he's getting a glimpse into what he is going to experience as grown men would in the temple. Jerusalem was not a big bustling city, by the way, at this time. But at the time of Passover, as all of these folks were, were coming in from, uh, Jews were coming in, the Hebrews from various cities and parts, it would have been flooded with people. Now, the band of, of folks that had traveled down from Nazareth, Passover feast is over, and then they, they are heading back to, to, the area, to the region of Galilee. You think to yourself, uh, how on earth did they lose Jesus? <laughs> well, you, you're, you're not a parent, obviously. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, we've all, you know, anyone who's a parent has had this experience, right? Like, where's my kid? You know, where, where did they go? Now, I think it, it maybe just. We're not given an explanation, but somewhere in here uh, we can make some, you know, some connections if we located in their context. Men and women did not typically travel together. The men would have been in one large group. The women would have been in another large group. Maybe some of the youth and, and others were gathered as they traveled. Somehow they head out of the city. It, you know, it turns night, and, uh, and, and uh, they're like, what? hey, Mary's like, oh, I wonder where Jesus is. And she goes to Joseph, and I'm sure this was a, a heated moment of fellowship, as my wife and I call it. But Joseph, where's Jesus? Well, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you, Mary. And then they start screaming, Jesus, Jesus. Then one's seen Jesus. Zechariah, Elizabeth, James, have you seen your... Where, where is Jesus? Does anyone know? You can imagine how they feel. The, 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 the despair uh, that they were... The distress, she says. I mean, anyone naturally understands this who's lost... Their child, even for a moment, a good friend of mine, a number of years back, they, they woke up and they were awakened during the night by one of their children. They have four children, and one of the daughters, Emma, was missing. They're like, was she, she sleepwalking? Did she go downstairs for a snack? We don't know where she is. They, they, they turn on the lights. They, start run, they go down to the basement. They, they look, and they're screaming, Emma, 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 where is Emma? They cannot find their daughter. They, they search everywhere. They start going outside. Maybe, where is she? Emma, 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 can you imagine this? In the middle of the night, they pick up the phone to call 911, and my friend's wife, Courtney, she falls down on her knees to cry out to God, except she can't. She's just hyperventilating. About that time, little Emma, half asleep, walks into the, into the room. She had been all along comfortable, tucked at the, the, ed, the edge of her parents' bed in between the comforter that had fallen off, and she was just sound asleep, wondering why on earth is everyone screaming, crying, and in distress? She's just half asleep. We can only imagine. Of course, it's mom who says the first word to him, right? Look at this, verse 48. Son, why have you treated us this way? <laughs> you know, Jesus said, do you know who you're talking to? You know, no, it, 
it's an understandable, this is a natural thing. And if you don't think the Bible is true, then why would, why would Luke record it this way if it didn't, you know, if this is not actually how it happened? I mean, if he was trying to doctor up a story, pun intended, uh, if he was trying to, if he was trying to fabricate some account, he would make Mary look better and Jesus look better. This is all very natural. And Jesus was not being disobedient. He may have been naive not to think, you know, maybe it would be a good idea for me to communicate. I'm going to hang around the temple. I'm going to, I'm going to lag back. But, you know, he was not disobedient. And praise be to God, he wasn't. But he was, we, are, we come to understand that verse 51, and then when they came back to, to Nazareth, he was submissive to them. Well, let, let's move on. This is just a, this is a young youth. He's a humble youth. He's a human growing. But we also see something, a glimpse, not the full picture, a glimpse of a bold divine son. These words, verse 49, are the very first words recorded in Scripture that Jesus speaks. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? I think this is bold uh, on two accounts. The obvious, simple one is that uh, he, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, Mom, or chill out, or it's okay. Can you just give me a hug? He, you know, he's bold. He, he says, you, you, you don't understand. And even in when he explained, don't you know I was going to be in my father's house? <laughs> they don't understand. Look at verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Young people here today, youth, you at home, youth, listen to me. It, it, you can find some comfort. Even Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood by his parents. <laughs> Jesus knows, Jesus is aware, he's acquainted with your, your story, your struggles, your season of life. Jesus knows this. He knows what it's like to be a teenager. Now, young people, um, you know, Mary is astonished that it's that this young boy, and later we're told that she's pondering these things over, she's rehearsing in her mind. Did this just really happen? She gets back. She's like, did this really happen? My, my young boy was standing in the middle of all of these high priests and, and religious theologians, and he was, he was communicating and interacting. She pondered these. The second time we've, we reread that in verse 51, she treasured these things. We simple people from Nazareth, my son was there. Now, I don't know that particular statement in verse 49 don't you know that I must be in my father's house? I don't know if any of the teachers in the temple overheard Jesus' reply to her. But if they had, they would have been astonished, perhaps even offended. And let me explain, because I think this is a really, this is my favorite part of this portion here, that he would say, my father's house. This is something that you don't, you don't see. One commentator captures it better than I can, David Gooding. My father's house, that phrase, the learned doctors, referring to those that would, would have been in the temple, they knew the Old Testament inside and out. In all of the long biblical record, not even Moses who had built the tabernacle, not David who had longed to build the, the temple, nor Solomon who actually built it, no prophet, no king or commoner, not the most exalted of them, had ever referred to the tabernacle or temple as my father's house. The child was conscious of a relationship with God that none had conceived of, let alone expressed before, and with that relationship a compelling devotion. I had to be in my father's house. 
Jesus now, perhaps more than ever, at least at this point in his growth and development, is conscientious of his identity and his belonging. Later in his ministry, he continues to refer to God as my father, even my Abba, my, my, my intimate father. It's one of the reasons that we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 18, that they wanted to kill Jesus. That they, they, they opposed him for a number of reasons, but they thought he was blasphemous. That's why the Jews, verse 18 of John 5, were seeking all the more to kill him. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Again, up, up to this point, the Heavenly Father is, is referred to as the father of creation or the father of our, our, our father, Abraham, of a nation, but not my father. This is a, a tremendous a personal thing, profoundly personal. This is a privilege that Jesus opens up to, to you, to me. What a, what a profound thing. Jesus has accomplished something in His obedience, in His devotion, in His mission, that we're now able to be in relationship with God our Father as sons and daughters. And there's not, there's not a single Muslim that would ever tolerate that. It is, it is totally wrong to call God your Father. We're told to call Him Daddy. We are called to rejoice in that intimate privileged relationship. But that, to call him father, does not, and to mean it, right? To sincerely say, our father, there's, there's been dozens of, you know, you know, that's the wrong word, that's the wrong number. There's been tons and tons of people to this very day have said, our father, and we'll say it here in a moment, it's, it's not deceit, but it's also not real. How do, you, how do you call him father? Because it doesn't happen, if, if it's done with faith and sincerity, it's not, it doesn't happen naturally. No, it's altogether supernatural because by nature we are not like Jesus here. We're, we are not children of God. We are children of wrath. We're at enmity. We're enemies with God. We need to be made children. That's why we treasure the whole beautiful picture that Scripture gives us of adoption. We must be reborn to be in relationship with God, adopted into his family. First John 3, John writes this, see, other translations say, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be called children of God. And that is what you are, he says. Back when we were uh, focused on Galatians, I, I gave this quote from J.I. Packer's wonderful book. I've, I've recommended this so many times, Knowing God. He has a whole chapter in Knowing God, J.I. Packer does, called Sons of God. And in there, he talks about adoption. Adoption, he writes, is the highest privilege of the gospel, that the gospel offers. It's even higher than justification, which is being, being made you know, righteous with God. He says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is yet greater. You know, in some ways, it's actually this, it, adoption is the sum 
of New Testament Christianity, the privilege to be sons and daughters. We can say it, our Father, without being phony. Rather, we can actually say it with assurance because we know Him, that He knows us, that He loves us, that we can love Him, even with intimacy, closeness. How do you enter the family of God? How do you call God your Father? By faith and by faith alone. It's not something that we can... We can merit. It's just like adoption. We don't, you, know, you might be charming. You might be cute. You might be well-behaved. But that's not the occasion upon or the basis of our adoption. We come with humble faith. We come and, and call God Father with a humble, childlike faith. Jesus knows what it's like to be a child. And there's a reason that we read this in Matthew 19, another gospel account. What does it say? The children, the, the, some of the parents were bringing their children for Jesus to bless and pray over. And the disciples rebuked them. No, 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 go back, go back, go back. And Jesus said, no, hold on a second. Let the little children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. That's how we enter. He says, do not hinder them. And so that, that's a word for us both as we relate to and to teach our children the Bible from the youngest ages, it's also a word to us in our posture today that we would say, there's, there's, you know, life gets complicated and the more you grow, let's just be honest, you just, you're tempted to just get so jaded. And some of you are know-it-alls. Uh, takes one to know one. But we need to humbly say, I don't know. I, I, but I, what, I, what I don't know, I do know this. God is my Father. Christ is my Savior. Show me, Lord. I trust you. You're my, you're my dad. You're my Father. I know that I can trust you. And I love again this verse, my Father's house. By the way, and this is what I'm going to close on. By the way, that word house isn't in the original language. It just ends with my Father's. But you can't really translate it. You know, it would be a little bit, it'd be a little bit awkward to say, there, look at again at verse 49, I must be in my father's. It's still a, good, it's still a sufficient translation because it's, you know, we need to understand and locate it in his household. It could, have been, it could have easily been translated too, I guess. I, I must be in and about my father's business, the family, the work. The life with the Father. Praise God that from, from the earliest beginning to the end, He was about the Father's business. And He was always obedient. And He was faithful so that He could be our substitute. So that we could be made right with God. We need and we want to be true about our Father's business. This day... This week, for seasons to come, Jesus is acquainted with us. The good shepherd walks with us, but to call out to God. Let's do that now. Father, we do thank you that we can call you that by faith. Thank you for opening a way through our brother, our Savior, our Messiah, King Jesus. Thank you for his humility. Thank you for his boldness. Thank you that he is fully man and fully God, a tremendous mystery to us. Teach us, Lord. And Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have not acted 
and functioned and lived and thought and prayed like you are our Father, that we have been adopted, that we are sons and daughters and not, not slaves, not hired workers, but those who have an inheritance. Lord, we, we have let things eclipse that. We've lost sight of it. We've become, we've become discontent and, and, and foolish Our priorities have been displaced. We've been thinking about goods and materials and our reputation. We've been thinking about our our own personal pleasures and not delighting in the thought that we are children and that you have an inheritance for us that can neither fade or spoil. Kept for us. Thank you so much for Jesus. God, please send your spirit in a mighty way to work, to stir, to shape, to guide, to pierce us, to counsel us in our hearts and minds. Grow us, Lord. Show us our weakness and then show us your power. Show us our sin and then show us our Savior. We need it today. Comfort those who, Lord, are mourning. Strengthen those who are weak in our midst and our congregation. Keep, Lord, please, healthy those who are most susceptible, those who are trying to battle against other illnesses. Lord, please work. For those who are discouraged, despondent, I know there's some who are, are find themselves very anxious. Others, and even at the same time, very depressed, lonely. Lord, comfort them in ways uniquely that you can this week. Please let us know, Lord, guide us so that we would perceive and give and respond. Lord, we pray, especially uh, this week, for the guides as they travel. Lord, please open the gates. You already have in many ways for them to experience and extend the beautiful picture of adoption. Guide them, Lord. Thank you, Lord, today for this means of grace. That too is a mystery. And we trust you. We want to trust you more. Teach us even now as we pray, as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. 